my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PEPCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all around good people. It is week 49 of 2021, and it is my parents' 41st wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary, mom and dad. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have my co-host Brian Deach, who is looking forward to those December days in Arizona. Hey, uh, you know, happy 41st anniversary to uh, to your to your parents. That's that's pretty awesome. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're like probably what, like 40 years old in three months, maybe. <laughs> I do have an older <laughs> sister, <laughs> not the firstborn. Firstborn male, though, right in the Chinese yes. family. Firstborn male. Does that mean That's you're it. the princess? <laughs> How does that work? I, I'm culturally idiotic when it comes to that. That just means I'm the I'm responsible for carrying on the family name. Oh, okay. So he gets to pass on the Louis jeans. And we also have Glenn Medina, who has to cover up his pool for the next few months. Everyone, welcome and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 37. Congratulations to the Louis household. 41 years is not an easy uh, feat. Um, yeah, and I do have to cover up my pool because all the leaves are falling down now up in Vacaville and it's making quite a mess. So I do need to go back there and, and do some raking and blowing. Uh, I hope everyone is rested from all the food they ate. Uh, I, for one, am feeling pre-diabetic and have this need to go out and burn some calories every so often. So, yeah, it's not, hasn't been fun. That's good. Then you got your smart treadmill that can help you with that. If I only could use it. I haven't used it in a while, though, Chris. It's been really tough. Did somebody hack it? Yeah, somebody hacked it and uh, reprogrammed me to think that it's it's not something that I'd like to get on right now. So <laughs> I do need to get on that thing. It's been carrying clothes for the last couple of months. Did I, did I ever tell you guys like the joke from Doug Stanhope regarding like his home workout gym? Mm-mm. I don't think so. Yeah, he got it. Uh, if you don't like crude humor, do not listen to Doug Stanhope. But anyways, he he said I got myself a uh, uh, working like a Bowflex as a stop smoking gift. Uh, you know to like kind of motivate me. And he goes, and now is this something I stare at when I smoke? So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, no guess this week, we hope to get some on after the new year. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our first topic, I thought it was interesting that in the same week, Jack released an episode of Darknet Diaries and the Wall Street Journal published an article exposing encrypted phone makers for selling them to criminals. The company Sky Global... They make encrypted phones, which are meant for enterprises and governments to prevent things like espionage and snooping. It was, a, it was meant to be a secure means for people to communicate with each other without anybody ha- in the middle having the ability to intercept that, that communication. However, encryption is a dual-use technology, and criminals also like it when law enforcement cannot intercept their communications in transit or at rest if a phone is recovered at a crime scene. In order to communicate with someone using a Sky, one of these Sky phones, you also had to have a Sky phone. So it was its own ecosystem. And they sold lots of these phones to governments and enterprises. And inevitably, criminals got their hands on these phones. Now, some of these encrypted phone makers, they took extra steps to preserve user privacy. They would 
uh, disable the microphone, like physically remove the microphone, physically remove the camera, disable the GPS chips, just to make it incredibly secure so that nobody could track them or snoop in on their conversations. Now the problem is it's legal to sell an encrypted phone or an encrypted communications device to people. What's not legal is knowingly selling them to criminals who then use it to further their criminal endeavors. Companies like Sky and other encrypted phone makers, they would often advertise features like things like a remote wipe and remote lock and to be able to destroy evidence if a phone were to fall into the hands of law enforcement. So is the parent company called Skynet by chance? No, it might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This seems for like pretty extreme. I think uh, you know the easy button would just be like going to Signal, right? If you want to send encrypted messages, what would you do? Yeah, Signal, Telegram, like WhatsApp, like they're all in the end. No, encrypted. you can't say WhatsApp anymore. That's owned by your dad's own Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> it is. They still preserve the end to end encryption on it. So the the problem is. You don't control the source code, so you don't know if somebody's going to backdoor you. There are like known vulnerabilities in the platform. We think Jeff Bezos got hacked because of a, a flaw in, in WhatsApp. And it's, that that would be the way to go. But if you want to take that extra step, things like remote wipe, like find my iPhone. Yeah, obviously you can, you can remotely wipe your phone. But if law enforcement were to, say, place a legal hold on your phone, then Apple could prevent you from remotely wiping that device. So going through a company like Sky, they can guarantee that your device will be wiped if it falls into the wrong hands. So I just have a stick of some thermite on the back of my phone. So if something goes down, just pull the cord, right? Melt that thing. Whatever happened in the good old days, by the way, just using PlayStation to send uh, encrypted messages that no one's going to see? Well, yeah. If you look at the, some of the the samples of the Sky phones, it looks like they they do all formats, right? Uh, smartphones and whatnot. I, I don't know if maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, they 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 look like they have the old Nokia's inside there as well. But uh, the idea is the communications encrypted between the two phones, right? So that way carriers inside can't hear or or eavesdrop on the communication. But isn't that the same as like someone was telling me that if you do a an audio call within iMessage. Is it iMessage? No, FaceTime. That That's encrypted as well. Did you guys hear that? Is that true? Yes. Yes, that is that is correct. And actually, when ISIS was still around in a thing, um, some of the ISIS handbooks or their training materials, they actually specifically said, use FaceTime, use iMessage, because that's end-to-end -end encrypted and no one can intercept it. So things like Skype. Skype at the time was not end-to-end -end encrypted, so they were actively telling people to switch to FaceTime and iMessage due to its end-to-end -end encryption capabilities. Hey, uh, side note, on Zoom right now, our, our audio and video is encrypted, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that is correct. Until somebody dials in with their phone and then you get that exception that says so-and-so's audio is not encrypted. I don't know how I feel about, well, I know how I feel about this, I don't care. But the reality is, I don't care about, I can't wait to the day that I don't even have, need to even have a phone. Like I'm, I'm toying with the idea of going with something like a Linux phone that has like zero app support and be like, ah, yeah, can check email guys. I don't know what to tell you. I was on vacation. Yeah, it's called a Blackberry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think you guys remember like a couple, many episodes ago with Jasmine on the line. I said it when I retire, 
I don't want a phone, right? Or if I do get a phone, it's going to be one of flip phones. So that I I just I just want out of the game. I don't blame you. Yes. There's actually some some uh, Linux based phones. Something called like the Pine Phone and the Fair Phone and stuff like that. As long as it's not running Android, I'm, I'm feeling but pretty. But if you do that, how would how would you? Android is Linux, but that's the whole point, right? Is Linux. the is modified you, though. But that's the whole point, though, right? Is that the, it's end-to-end encryption of the communication. So even if you had a flip phone, or maybe even a dumb phone, that communication still rides over the PSTN. Agree? Disagree? No, I agree. Especially agree. with a flip phone, yeah. right? Like those text. I remember reading text messages that I had sent from T-Mobile, like this in my in my bill. I'm like, my God, I. No wonder I couldn't get a girlfriend. It was socially <laughs> awkward. Um, but I, I'm getting it so it doesn't listen to me. I'm getting it so it doesn't track me. These phones know more about uh, us than, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though, because I, I was I was talking to a, a, a family friend had come and visited my father. And the next day I know I opened up Facebook at home at my at, when I went back home after, you know, being at my father's house all day and. I, her picture, her, her her recommended friend was inside there. I think you had said that right a couple of episodes ago. It's like what yeah, the hell's going on? I thought I I had thought I had turned that feature off, and how the hell is it still on? So I've got to go back to my my Facebook um, um, configuration and see what the heck's going on there. Deleted. Yeah, Mark all. Zuckerberg will always find a way. Daddy's yeah, up. That's the safest. The safest. Delete Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook all that off your phone i think it's coming i think it's totally coming so i think the problem with sky and why they're in in legal trouble is this is very similar to our discussion about nso group that you know it's 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 legal to sell surveillance software to governments and law enforcement it's legal to sell encrypted communications devices what's not legal is to knowingly sell it to criminals and there were actual cases i don't know if it was sky or another encrypted filmmaker where they had an undercover fbi agent come in and say, hey, you know, you guys take out the GPS chips, but maybe for a couple of these phones, can you leave them in in case this person turns out to be an undercover agent or some kind of uh, confidential informant? That way we can track them and kill them later. And then the guy's, yeah, yeah, we can we can leave that GPS on for a few of them. So knowingly selling it to criminals for for to further their criminal enterprises, that's not legal, but just selling it to prevent corporate espionage well that's legal well what if you think law enforcement is a group of criminals mm? uh, i see watching. what you did there <laughs> yeah, he's watching the watchers I'm on twitter too much guys don't listen to me i'm actually not on twitter at all i thought it'd be funny to say that yeah so i think it just comes down to better know your customer protocols like when i sign up for a certain account like, like a bank account like if you open up a bank account today you can't do it without uh, some kind of type of notar- notarization and photo ID or passport information, all that stuff, all that Patriot Act stuff. But to buy an encrypted phone, you say, hey, cash your credit, and then you know you go off with this thing. So if they maybe if they had better know your customer protocols, this wouldn't be such a big problem. Yeah, and as expected, Sky says we sell lawful devices. It's our distributors and our resellers that sell it to people that we don't want them to fall in the hands of so that's that's their defense we just happen to own the reselling group though so come on (laughs) so so let's let's talk about this right i mean at at some point how much is sky 
responsible for that kind of activity. It's just like saying, hey, Toyota, you know, Toyota and, and all those nice trucks that are sitting inside of, of that are being used for these ISIS campaigns that are sitting in the, in the middle of the, in the Middle East somewhere. I mean, you could see those branded, right? They're, they're like the the um, the uh, terrorist car or truck of dreams, right? Terrorists sitting on the back. Where it's not it's not Toyota's fault. Those things just got handed down time over time over time. They're not like brand new minted Toyota trucks. It just happens to be their branding that's all over the Middle East. Now, how dare they make a reliable vehicle that terrorists <laughs> can now use? <laughs> the Toyota Hilux. Yeah, love that truck. Wish I could get one here in the U.S. I think it's the Tacoma here in the U.S. It is. Um, it is the the name is Tacoma, but it is a totally different truck. Probably couldn't pass our safety standards. So. <laughs> yeah, probably good call. Or emissions, excuse me. <laughs> so, you know what would pass in Arizona though is that rack mounted machine gun on the back. There you go. Actually, uh, no, you can't have a machine gun. In there. Yeah, you need you need a permit. You can have a turret. You just can't put anything on top of it. Or maybe you could. <laughs> so I'm going to have one that shoots out hugs and rainbows. Just make everyone have go. a great day. All right. We need to get on to the next topic. It's getting insane right now. All right. For our next topic, I thought this was a funny story. It's, it's a ransomware story. So we're, this, you can call this a ransomware story of the week. But uh, it turns out uh, WordPress. So WordPress is a site that uh, content management tool that builds sites. There's some crazy stat out there, like 50 plus percent of websites out there are built on, on WordPress, very popular platform to build on. Well, turns out there was a vulnerability in WordPress. So again, nothing, nothing new. There's a new vulnerability for WordPress, but just about every other week for WordPress or one of their plugins. However, someone got clever and exploited one of these vulnerabilities, which allowed them to take over someone's WordPress site. So basically they, they took over their website. They sort of defaced it. They left an eerie message on the webpage that says, you know, we've seized control of your website. We've encrypted all your files. If you want your files back, send $300 in Bitcoin to this address. And when some of the incident responders went in and took a look at it, there was actually, there was actually no ransomware, no encryption. Someone just pasted this message on the webpage, hoping that people would think their page was lost and encrypted and to get some uh, Bitcoin out of it. So it was a fake ransomware stories and when people took a look at the bitcoin wallet there's zero dollars in it so nobody sent them any money so no one felt no one's falling for it but i definitely give them an a for creativity yeah i don't think anyone dumb enough to fall for that actually owns any bitcoin nor has the resources to actually go get bitcoin there's a reason why it's called wordpress right why they're using wordpress well you say that but wordpress is actually pretty good and as a user of WordPress for my little blog, I think you use it too, Chris, right? I don't know. I use a different platform. Okay. But if I if I wasn't using my current platform, then yes, I would have used WordPress. It's pretty phenomenal because they, like, I remember back in the day, it was like kind of a, a pain in the butt. Like, I had to remind myself, like, you know, once a quarter, check to see if there's updates and do all that. Now it's all just, it just notifies you like, hey, we got something going on. Just click here to update or auto update. And then uh, probably my, my favorite plugin is something called WordFence. And it's basically like a, it's like a low rent Johnny Utah of a WAF, but it does a great job. So you can actually have like brute force protection. And every once in a while I'll get an email. It's like, Hey, uh, some dude in Russia has been locked out for trying to log in as an admin admin a couple of times. It's, it's actually pretty tight. 
Yeah, I sell a paid version of that too that has a lot more functionality, but I hear the free one is actually pretty good too. But yeah, the WordPress, the benefit of WordPress is there's just infinite number of plugins that you can add to it. Like if you want to add a shop, there's a plugin for that. If you want to add a mailing list, there's a plugin for that. If you want to track where people are you coming from, there's a plugin for that. So it's it's really modular and that's what makes it so popular. The really good stuff kind of gets like baked into it. But yeah, the, the WordFence, you're right. There is a, a paid version of it. And it's like, uh, like if you're talking about like the brute force attacks, like it's just like you're relying on its intelligence. Whereas there's a, you, for the premium charge, you can just get the block list. People don't even, even have a chance to attempt to log in or like doing geo block uh, blocking. You'd have to pay for that. And I think, I think that's about it. It's been a while since I've actually looked at it, but let's see security options. Yeah, I was, I was on the uh, on the fence of doing WordPress, where you, you had to manage your own security, some of your own security controls, versus going to someone like a Wix, you know, or you know, GoDaddy or something like that. But I, I chose to go the other route and just go make it easy. It's like, hey, I just I just need to post content. It's not me. I don't want to worry about protecting it. I'll pay the extra money to get that done, right? So and I just needed to post flat documentation for di- um, information distribution. So, I uh, because yeah, again, this what WordPress gives you their software for free, or you can sign up for their hosted version of it where they host it and there are uh, they're in the Amazon marketplace, you can spit up your own, you know, T2 micro instance and one click you can deploy WordPress on it. So, it's very popular for, for, for those reasons. I think the uh, the the hosting providers, I think they have a problem with WordPress because. Uh, I just stood up a, a website for my my daughter who is officially become an entrepreneur and we did WordPress and it was it was phenomenal. Like I, I put the domain in and then I went to go deploy um, WordPress and it was like, hey, we detected that you have HTTPS. I'm like, I didn't even cut a cert. But on the back end, they just have like this auto script tool that just goes through there and, and uh, cuts uh, via all via API uh, a SSL certificate, a strong one at that um, through Let's Encrypt and automatically provisions it. And then it also like I, I not too long, well, five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, I had stood up like command and control just to do my own troubleshooting. And then like within 24 hours, the, the hosting provider was like, hey, you got some terrible crap up here. You need to remove it. And I'm like, I, I put it there. <laughs> but thanks a lot. And like, So I think they actually, you know, proactively, they, they're being a little bit more intelligent about it. And then the same thing, I had a, an old version of MySQL running on something I didn't even use anymore prior to the automation. And they're like, hey, you need to upgrade this. I'm going to just. But it's kind of cool, right? Like you just that level of service for something that I'm paying like ten dollars a month for is pretty phenomenal. Well, hopefully your website is not one of the vulnerable ones, and you're not going to get this defacement message asking you for some Bitcoin. I tell them, go ahead. I I will pay. I won't even check. (laughs) All right, for our next topic, and this is a network geek alert, so we're probably going to lose a chunk of our audience here, but I thought this topic was just too fun not to discuss. There are several ranges of IPv4 addresses that are formally designated as unroutable. So that's an IPv4 address, but no router on the internet will respond to these IP address ranges. The most famous network ranges belong to RFC 1918, which cover 10.8, 172.16 172.16 and 192.168, which most home routers come pre-configured with. Then you have things like 100.64/10, that's carrier-grade NAT space. You have 
169.254, that's private address registration space, and of course, 127.0.0.1, the local loopback address. No place like home. No place like home. Even though 99.999% of users will only use 127.0.0.1 as the local loopback address, the Internet Engineering Task Force, or the IETF, they designated the entire 127.8 IP address space as unroutable. That means that 16 million IPv4 addresses are now unavailable because of one loopback address. IPv4 address space is now a scarce resource, and they are getting more and more expensive every year. IPv6 was supposed to fix this problem, but, you know. It's already a foregone conclusion that the IETF has reserved the 127-16 space for loopback, and will make the rest of the 127 space internet routable. That means there will be... 65,536 addresses available for loopback, and the other 16 million and change IPv4 addresses will now be internet routable. I can definitely see why they would want to do that, but I think you guys know where I'm going with this. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I'm just going to go ahead and just re-IP my entire house to the 127 space. I think that's just a great idea. It's awesome. Why not, right? And I'd make your router 127.002. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you know, let me ask you this. How long do you guys think IPv6 has actually been out? It's been a while. More than 20 years for sure. Yeah, definitely more than 20. I remember talking about it years ago. So it's probably in 25. And I think the adoption rate is still abysmal. I think like, you know, the big social media sites have it. But I think the adoption rate overall, I bet you, I'll Google it real quick. But I think it's probably less than... 10%, maybe 15 So I have several customers, and they're still running public IP address space internally. And you almost have to laugh about that. And if you look, a lot of them, it's like, why are you doing that? That is such a bad thing to do. And it's like, well, we can. I'm like, well, yeah, I could drive a Yugo, you know, 70 miles an hour, but I wouldn't want to. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a good thing to do, right? So Just because you can do it doesn't yeah, mean you should, should do, it. do it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I remember when I worked with the federal government and there was one specific agency, just like you said, they didn't even bother with that. They gave every workstation a mm -hmm. public IP address because they could. This one specific agency had their own class B subnet. Yeah, I, I got a feeling there's a bunch of organizations out there just hoarding subnet upon subnet upon subnet of of of, of IP address space and it's like, hey, guys, if you guys are smart and just hide this behind a firewall and do the right thing and not make those routable or, you know, those IP addresses, those public IP addresses internal, we could probably get away with IPv4 a lot for a lot longer. Right. So it's that hoarding mentality, I think. It's funny you should mention that because I, I did look it up and I, I, I my theory is that these companies own the, the V4 space, the address space, and they know it gets more valuable every single year. So if you have a slash eight, that's 16 million addresses at 10 bucks a piece, that's 160 million at 30 bucks a piece, that's half a billion dollars of just IP address space. It's like an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I was way wrong. Get, get, take some guesses on IPv6 adoption. It's north of 15. North of 15. That's not it's so higher bad. than I expected. Well, no, yeah, but no. guess. Uh, yeah, like, um, yeah, it's it's bigger <sighs> than that. What do you guys think it's at? Really? Yeah. Is it less than 30? More. More than 30? Yeah. Wow. 45. 35, yeah. 35. Okay. Now, this is where I put my... Let me get my tinfoil hat on real quick. So, U.S. IPv6 adoption is 47%, roughly. Guess what China's at? They've got to be probably 80 90%. You would think they'd be higher, but then they have a lot less internet-connected people there. 1.56%. So, okay... <laughs> What's the reality of that? Let's go. Let's talk to that thirty-five percent, though, because if you look at that, I bet you that's just all cellular devices that are IP'd with IPv6. Like it's that, and then some websites they do the prefer IPv6, but then they'll fall back to IPv4. Yeah. yeah. Well, and this is really like this is Google users going to Google on an IPv6 spot. So, uh, you know, seeing as China doesn't really allow users to come out to, to Google, <laughs> to I can Google. see. But or or is it because China just has all the IPv IPv4 space, and that's the reason why we're short because they got their you know trillion people over there. So it's, it's actually so they, I actually know the answer to that, and it's no. So in preparation for this segment, I did a little bit of research, okay. and this handy Wikipedia page shows every company that owns a slash eight. So the DOD, so the U.S. Department of Defense, they own 14, I'm going to say that again, the DOD owns 14 slash eights. 14. So it's 14 times 16 million, and it's, I don't, maybe the DOD has a lot of stuff that needs IP'd, but yeah, they own 14 slash eights. Other people that own a slash eight, the U.S. Post Office, the Ford Motor Company, Hewlett Packard Inc., Hewlett Packard Enterprise, they each own a slash eight, the car maker Daimler, Prudential Insurance, and our favorite, Xerox. Xerox owns a slash eight. Are they still around? They make their numbers only by selling IPv4 space. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Dang, all right. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And and like I said, I, I, I think at some point, Xerox's holdings of IPv4 addresses will be worth more than the entire company. Do you guys find this odd that the post office is second? <laughs> Declining mail other than through packages from Amazon or, you know, or, or distribution uh, or some type of, you know, a package distribution. But the fact that the post office, who sold off a lot of their property to begin with, still is second in slash eight ownership. Well, maybe they thought so, so. digital ownership, right? Like you will start receiving mail at this IP address. And so maybe that was their way. Instead <laughs> of the physical. <laughs> maybe so maybe the they have that foresight, not, you know? Yeah, they're, they're not second. They're just all the companies they listed, they each own a slash eight. So they, oh, okay. they own equal amounts. Of, I got gotcha. IP space. They all own a slash eight, which is about sixteen million. Tied uh, for second. Four addresses. Yeah. So, so I'm going to say that again. The DoD owns fourteen slash eights, and I think they're just sitting on it. Like I, I really don't think the DoD has that much stuff that needs IPing. 
I got a feeling those are all internal. <laughs> look at the cost of postage, right? Like they they're doing something right over there. That that might be an effectively run government branch. I could be wrong. You know what they should do is the DoD should sell off their IP v4 space and then use that for the defense budget nah (laughs) that sounds too efficient (laughs) i was gonna say yeah you know maybe just sell it all to china and then just we'll just blacklist it (laughs) (laughs) we know what it is that's the ultimate troll move at least sell 13 of them right (laughs) and by who's this car maker by the way i've never even heard of them Daimler? Daimler? AG Daimler. Yeah, they're German. They used to own Chrysler. It used to be Daimler Chrysler. I think they own Mercedes, Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. That's wow. right. They also make trucks. So. Oh, you had me there. Okay, trucks. I like it. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, Semi-trucks. Yeah, them, Semi-trucks. So Daimler and Ford. Like, What, what do car manufacturers need a slash eight for? Like, I think they're just in line when they're handing these things out. And like, yeah, I'll take some. And they just sat on it for however long they've had it be interesting to see if these these same companies are the first in line to go to the internet right like hey you know did the are these are these companies like the first to register their domain space and then pick up ip addresses at the same time yeah that might be true talk about a like a true hold right they probably bought this stuff a long time we're like we're in it for the long run i know it seems expensive pennies. right Hodel. now pennies Hodel. pennies Hodel. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we thought Bitcoin at three bucks was a good investment. Man, buying a slash eight in the when the nineties when they were handing this stuff out. Yeah. Thanks, 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 Chris. Thanks for rubbing it in there. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, Chris's position on Bitcoin is three dollars. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. All right for. <laughs> All right for our last topic, and it's going to be a rotating topic every week. I thought we would revisit a topic from last week that we didn't get to talk about, which is search engine optimization. So, Brian, walk us through what SEO is. Well, so, number one, I don't think I even know it all that well, but I used to dabble with it back in the day. And uh, one of the tricks that we did was like in the the head portion of uh, like a web page, you would put in a bunch of like verbiage up there that you would hope would drive search results. So, it wouldn't, it's not necessarily content. Uh, to the page that you're actually displaying, you know, uh, for the end users to see, but you would, you know, interject it up there with like a search string. And I just remember going out to like all these nefarious websites and just looking to see what they were putting in there and very explicit to be honest with you. But uh, that was one of them. But the other part was the, the concept of like linking back, right? So you have your original content and then you, what you needed to do was have other websites link to that website and talk about it. So then what you were doing is you were buying uh, multiple domains and then you're trying to, you know, promote the, the page rank. And so it was just kind of like a, an ever evolving um, challenge with like the Googles and Yahoo's and Alta Vista because they eventually caught on to the fact that we were just interjecting like, you know, hot topics into the head part of uh, the HTML. And so then they started scrubbing that portion of it. Right. Or, doing something in white space. They must've been focusing in on, you know, text size that was, you know, one. And so then from there it would be like, oh, you know, I'm going to go through and register all these domains and I'll point over here. But then they started saying, well, if you really want to get elevated, then you need to have like a .org or .mil 
or something like that. It was linking back over there to help promote that and get you a little bit uh, higher up on the search engine rankings. I do. I am a little curious though today, like I don't do anything for search engine optimization. Right. And I almost feel like at least from Google is this, it's, it's kind of just dialed in. Like if I search for my name, it's, it's going to find me. Right. I don't, I don't promote, I don't do anything. But then again, I am on, you know, I have Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, I used to have a Twitter, uh, and things like that. And then other weird things that I've promoted throughout the, the years, it, you know, tends to show up. What about you, Chris? What do you think? So, so Brian had a Twitter until they banned him. <laughs> Too many good ideas. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so SEO is search engine optimization, and it's it's basically a way to get your web page at the top of the search results. So if I go to Google.com and I search for uh, painters in Fresno, California, well, I want my painting company in Fresno to be at the very top because you know, statistically, statistics show you're more likely to click on the links that show up at the top. You're less likely to ever get to like page three of the, the search results. So you can, there's certain things that you can do to get your page uh, to the top. Google does not publish their algorithm or how they determine who gets to the top because people would just game the system to get their search result there. But yeah, Brian, you're on the right, right track there that your page has to have certain keywords to it. And it also is related to how many other pages link to your page. So how many pages you link to other pages, how many pages link to you, how many redirects that you get from other pages. They're just like gobbling up all this, this data on the internet. They plug it into some algorithm and they get to choose who goes on top. Now you can pay to get on top. And those are the paid ads that, that Google has. So you can pay and get to the very top of the search results. But if you want to organically get there, then that's where you have to have like other people's legitimate websites like point to your website. If you piss me off, I will Google your company and, and I all day long, I'm just clicking that top result for you. I'm going to spend up all your ad money for as long. <laughs> like not that, that's the only time I will ever click an ad is if you've upset me. I've, I've instructed my wife and kids to never click on that one though. Pay to play baby. Yeah. I, so it, I, I did this right. And I, you know, for a, a volleyball team in, in the local area. And when I first registered site, there weren't any. And then I, I was tempted to, to run the SEO because I think the club was trying to grow. We were, they were trying to grow, grow, grow the club and figured if we did the SEO, then we could um, technically get a better hit for volleyball clubs in the local area. What I found was instead of paying that, I just asked, you know, 20 parents, hey, can you just Google the club associate it in, in these different ways. And then all of a sudden the ranking of the club got better and better each, each, uh, each week and simpler, simpler. But I, like I said, I didn't need to go national. I just needed to make sure that anyone that was Googling the club, um, did so in, in the local area. And I, I don't know if that would be any of the different, like since we're all in different areas and if we had Googled something of the same, like, like, like Brian, you had mentioned, you know, your, your daughter's, website, if we had all Googled her name, would we come up with the same search results from Google knowing that we're in different areas of the country? Do you guys know that? So if you remember from that movie Social Dilemma that we watched, the Google search results depend on your search history. So if mm. I, I'm going to pick a, a topic, I don't feel strongly one way or the other on this, so don't hold me to it. But if I've searched a lot for climate change is BS, you know, global warming is a scam, and then I, I search for uh, 
global warming or, or climate change. And they know my history says I lean towards the global warming is a scam side. They're going to populate results that favor that way of thinking. They're not going to show me the, the opposite side. They're going to show me the results that actually favor what uh, my past search history results are. So yeah, absolutely. Depending on what you search for, all three of us could get different search results if we type in the same string. Yep. It's all, yeah, unless maybe you did an incognito window, but then even then I'm thinking your IP address is probably going to have paint some type of picture for that, right? Probably right. the uh, the craziest thing that I've seen um, is stuff that's kind of polarizing, right? And uh, there, were, there was evidence, I forget the group, right? And they, they basically said, hey, quarterly, we put out like this PDF and it's about something, right? It has nothing to do with uh, left or right, red or blue. It is, it's just factual. And they said, you know, before, like you changed your, your, your algorithm, Facebook, right? That's who they were picking on. And Facebook's like, no, we did not Like we haven't changed anything. So like, let, let's say they're talking about the best fried chicken recipe ever, right? That's the, that's their study that they put out. And they would see literally like before they would do it, like hundreds of thousands of views, but now three, like there's nothing there. And so they, as an experiment, they went out and they, they republished the thing and they had something in there like, uh, that was, you know, I don't know pro-gun or anti-gun, right? And as soon as they did that, the, the the views of this article went through the roof. And so they said, all right, we're going to do another one, the opposite mind thinking of it. And that's the only way, and it had nothing to do with it, but it was it was a way of um, kind of, you know, proving out that that algorithm is flawed, right? Like they, they, they Facebook, for the most part, is only showing you kind of like what you want to see, right? And mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would argue that Google does the same thing. They, they want you to stay on that platform. So it doesn't, if you were met with information that you fundamentally just disagreed with, whether you thought it was true or false, or just went against your core beliefs, you're going to stop using it. So why feed you anything that you don't want to see and just, just you know, feed the fire and, uh, you know, radicalize people is the way that I see it. Yeah. And I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at that point now where privacy is big for me. So I'm stopped. I, I, I've pretty much stopped using Google as a search engine and, and gone to things that, that hide, that do a lot better job of hiding what I'm doing, uh, not hiding one of my search engines, but giving me a little bit more privacy like uh, DuckDuckGo, right? So yeah, I, I still search for bad stuff. I just hopefully there's a little bit of... Uh... <laughs> when is the McRib coming back? We know yeah. what you're really looking for. <laughs> there you go. That's right. All right. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, Brian is up. Alrighty, guys. So the Earth, as we know it, right, it is seventy-five percent water, but there is no carbon uh, carbonated water on Earth, which means technically the Earth is flat. Wow! 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 <laughs> well, although Italy would disagree with you on that, because there is a lot of carbonated water in Italy. Probably. You're probably, but not enough to make a dent in that 75%. That's right. Yeah. Even if uh, it was 25% carbonated, we're still more flat. Flat. So there we go. <laughs> Nothing against all those people out there that believe in the, that the earth is flat, of course. Yeah, right? so hashtag flat earthers when you put this on LinkedIn and just watch. We're going we're gonna to get new subscribers, baby. Like That's it's right. going to be great. That's it. Let's see if it works. Let's see if you can get... <laughs> Uh, you know, if, if we can hack the uh, the Inst I'm sorry, the the LinkedIn uh, 
algorithm. The algorithm. That's yeah. It. All right. Well, we'll do a little bit of SEO for flat earth society there. And to all of our listeners that are flat earthers, we love you. Just go That's get it. your head checked. <laughs> all right. To wrap things up, encrypted phones are not as secure as advertised. No one's falling for the latest round of fake ransomware. There are a lot of solutions to the IPv4 problem, and the IETF took the most challenging one. And Brian and Glenn teach us how to game the search engine ecosystem. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pebcac Podcast. You can help us grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PebCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Have a nice day.